Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Real Talk. It's Lucas here, and I hope that today's episode informs and inspires you to have your own real conversations. As always, today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Trivan, maker of trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at trivan.com. A huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show and making it possible. One other quick note before we get into today's episode is that if you are willing and able, if you could leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on any of the podcast networks or platforms that allow for it, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that will be much appreciated as it helps get the word out there and lets people know what we're all about. So with that in mind, on to the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Real Talk. Um, Thank you for joining us again. Um, We have an exciting episode as usual. Um, Continuing on with a series, um, yes, a series I've been working on, a few episodes on the marks of the true church. So this is the second part after um, the episode about preaching with uh, Dr. Van Dam. So we're talking about sacraments, um, the mark of the true church, the the, uh, true administration of the sacraments. So uh, today I'm joined by Pastor uh, James Zeckfeld from Niverville, Manitoba. Um, mm-hmm. and, I uh, appreciate you coming on and, uh, maybe you can introduce yourself to everybody. Um, and then we'll, we'll get into what the sacraments are and we'll dive deep and probably go for hours on the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, pastor James Zeckfeld. So I'm a pastor in the ambassador Canadian reformed church in, uh, in Niverville. I've been called as a missionary over here. I'm actually not going to be a pastor too much longer over here. I've uh, been called to uh, Trinity Covenant Church in Fort St. John, so I'll be uh, I'll be pastoring there. Um, I'll be moving there at the end of uh, at the end of May. So, oh wow, yeah. that's pretty soon. Yeah, is, yeah. Where's Fort St. John? Fort St. John is way up north in BC, so about six hours north west of Edmonton. Oh wow! So you're yeah. up in uh, the boonies. Uh, yeah, that's that's way up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's gonna be quite a move. And you're you're moving yeah. into the mountains from uh, the very prairie land. So yeah, yeah. Excited for that move. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. I I think it. Uh, it's not really in the mountains yet, but uh, pretty close. Like you can see the mountains from there. So oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm about a, mountain, so I like that. Yeah. You can yeah. see the mountains. You can go there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, so so yeah. actually, maybe you can. Uh, I'm curious about your work in Neverville. So that was a yeah. mission church set up by um, Winnipeg Redeemer Redeemer Canadian Reformed Church in Winnipeg. Yeah. So um, yeah, church plant basically. Um, been ministering here five years now so the church is about 55 people um and we'll be yeah we're we're actually just getting uh another couple just joined us so yeah we're looking forward to that and did you move out of out of the church of winnipeg as a, a body that went to do this church plant yeah, so it started with seven families, and there's been some over. There's been some um, uh, what it, transitions, but we stayed about the same size. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. And that's been that's been pretty uh, good work over there because it's just yeah. just a town outside Winnipeg, right? It's just a town just south of Winnipeg. Yeah, we've uh, 
we've uh, baptized a couple, two different adults, um, had a, there's a lady from Catholic background that's joined us, um, a, yeah, some people from uh, Baptist background that have joined us. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice to see uh, God blessing the work all over, especially mission, especially like local missions like that um, mm-hmm. that we've mm-hmm. been able to set up church plants and things. So, so um, yeah, I want to we wanted to talk about the sacraments today. So mm-hmm. I uh, mm-hmm. we reached out to um, Pastor Zeckfeld. Um, partially, I I found a uh, the debate that you had done uh, with a local, I guess, Baptist pastor in your area. Um, mm-hmm. on baptism and that was that's on the reform perspective website um about mm-hmm. what it's an article about resources to talk about infant baptism stuff so i felt that was that was pretty interesting and then you've also written some articles and blog posts and stuff about lord's supper um about the frequency that we we do it in in the king reform church um and then just like how we how we should think about it and stuff um so i thought you'd be a good good person to have on to you know, just unpack what are the sacraments and then, and then we'll go into, you know, baptism and Lord's supper and deep, more deeply understand them um, and, uh, and understand them more specifically how they are marks of the true church. And then how are they um, like properly to be um, uh, used in the church and, and understood and, and how we can get, you know, something out of them, which is mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I guess as an introduction um, to this whole topic, maybe you could start with like, what is what is a sacrament? What is um, what yeah. do we understand when we say sacrament specifically, and why? How is it different than say um, some of our other like rituals or um, sure you know customs? Yeah, I think sacraments you you'd want to be careful to say uh, it, it, it's historically anyway, right? That they're instituted by Christ. Um, they are, yeah, there's a lot of things to say here, right? They're, they're signs and seals. Um, seals especially is, a, is the word the scripture uses. Um, a seal is, especially emphasizes that it's a guarantee, a, a promise, right? right. Um, and then the sign the sign can be somewhat misleading because it's bigger than a sign as well, right? Because a sign emphasizes the idea that they're visible, but the primary command of Scripture is not necessarily to look at the sacraments, but to perform them, right? To do them. Right. So there. So sign is a fine word. It's just bigger than that. So. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what? How does that differ from, say, things like um, profession of faith or or marriage or something like that? Like, why why do we call baptism and the Lord's Supper like instituted by Christ? Um, how do mm-hmm. we know that those things are sacraments, whereas marriage, which is, I guess, instituted by the creation order by by God's command, I guess, too? Um, mm-hmm. Why are those not considered sacraments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because marriage is a promise too, right? Marriage is a promise. Um, ordination is a promise. Uh, marriages it, are 
are are sealed by God. We believe ordination is sealed by God, right? It matters. It, it matters who you are ordained, and the fact that the church officially ordains somebody, it's it's a it's a sealing by God, right? That would right away to actually take profession of faith out of that because profession of faith is not necessarily anything we don't we wouldn't say that god is doing anything in profession of faith other than the work of the holy spirit it's a manifestation of the work of the holy spirit in that person right okay but what makes sacraments unique um within the reformed tradition is that yeah they're instituted by christ in his earthly ministry and I think you'd particularly want to emphasize that the sacraments, in a certain sense, formally constitute the Church of Christ, right? So you're baptized. That means you belong to Christ. You are, you are connected to the work that Christ has done on the cross, right? And then... The um, the Lord's Supper, uh, the Belgian Confession, uh, draws this uh, this line between um, spiritual eating and natural eating. Right? Uh, if you're in Christ, if you're in this new creation, you need a uh, a meal for this new creation. Right? And so, in a sense, both of those cons, uh, both of those. Um, help to constitute and mark out the church as a thing, as God's thing here on earth. Yeah. Right. Oh, interesting. So why only, why only baptism and Lord's Supper? Like, what are some of the other, um, you know, quote unquote sacraments that, um, like, the, I know like the Catholics would have more. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why do they recognize more and, and where are they wrong there? Yeah. So the, the, yeah, what happens in the Catholic church is you have these things in the scripture that are recognized as somewhat sacramental, um, like confession, like ordination, like, um, like, uh, 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 the one you last rites, right? Where they put the oil on oh, yeah. your head. Um, not even that. That's per se last rites in the scriptures. Um, it, that comes from James 5. That's not necessarily a, a last rites ordinance. Um, but those are not... Um, those are not instituted by... Yeah, they're, they're not instituted Christ for the whole church. Right. Um, they are uh, God uses those things, um, but they're not they're they're not commanded by Christ for the whole church. And early on, Catholics would have recognized that um, I'm talking about before Trent, right, even before uh, I believe it's the fourth letter in council where they really nail down the seven sacraments um, as the system they would use today. Um, but even at the fourth letter in council, there was a there was a distinction uh, between the um, the the two main sacraments and and what they would have more called sacramentals or or something like that, right? Um, but that uh, but eventually that became um, 
And that became uh, a whole system of sacraments, and they were put on the same par, especially the sacrament of confession became very, very important. You had to go and confess your sins to the, the, the priest every week, and that's how you got absolution. There wasn't a sense you could direct uh, confess your sins directly to God. Again, as Protestants, we believe you ought to confess your sins to one another. It says that in in the in the book of James again, um, but it's not. Um, but it's 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 not something that that is ordained by Christ directly by Christ in His ministry. Right, right. So it's not a it's not ordained as a. Uh something to be used in the church or in a mm -hmm. service or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, And we can say like Christ directly ordains the two sacraments we have. Christ directly says uh, in Matthew 28, um, discipling and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And then you have um, uh, uh, do this in remembrance of me when he has the last supper with his disciples, right? Those are direct commands of Christ. Christ does not say, do order. This is how you're going to do ordination. This is how you're going to do uh, holy unction. This is how you're going to do confession. No, the church is somewhat free to use those. Um, and, and, and not necessarily everybody has to use them. Right. So, right. Oh, interesting. So yeah, it's, it's more of a, it's given as a guide or a guide or, or a model, but not, um, and so, and so follow the model, but not necessarily the, the, the ceremonial portion that goes with it. So why do they, there's lots of examples in the, in the new Testament of, of baptisms happening, uh, mm -hmm. spontaneously and, and the mm -hmm. Lord's supper. Um, I mean, we'll get into that too, but the Lord's supper, they often, um, celebrated the Lord's supper. It seems like more regularly through the week, um, or, um, when they gather together on the first of the week, every week, or, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's no command, um, direct command, which we'll talk about, I'm sure of the frequency of it, but it seemed like it was happening spon more spontaneously. So why did, when did the church and, and why do we keep these things in the worship service now? Why, mm -hmm. why isn't a baby say baptized in a hospital? Like, I mean, the Catholics would rush over there, wouldn't they? Um, yeah, but, so Lord Lord's Supper would have been part right away part of a worship service, um, as far as as far as we can tell. Um, it's a sacrifice. It, it's in a sense, uh, yeah. It's not a sacrifice in the sense of sacrificing Christ. We we can get into that more later when we talk specifically about Lord's Supper, but it is a sacrifice of the people to god right that would be that would be more uh the original idea of it um the um with baptism the reason yeah i think the reason it gets put in a in a worship service eventually is because it's edifying right it's edifying to see a baptism and also that it's um uh it, to kind of back off on the superstition, right? Especially in, in the Reformation era. There's nothing in the Bible that would say you have to have a baptism uh, um, in the worship service. Uh, it's just men that are 
it's it's men that are called it, it seems to be men that are called to the work of the kingdom of god that are allowed to to baptize in the new testament um right. and and there's there's uh yeah there's there's a there's a more freedom and i i think maybe a lot of the change over time is there comes to be abuses of those things and and we need to be more careful about how we how we do those sort of uh, there's there's just more of a guarding of those sorts of things right but there's no there's nothing necessary it's it's more about doing things in good order that that we're careful to to keep those in the service today right yeah so it seems yeah i mean baptism there's not as much of an emphasis i don't think in our tradition that everyone in the congregation is present for it although i mm-hmm. guess not everyone is is participating they're more being edified through the you know watching and and you know yeah. in a way you're participating in but you're not um you know you're not being baptized so but in the lord's <laughs> supper we there's a big there's a large emphasis on on everybody coming obviously yeah um was that always the case like with with i guess both sacraments is it is it always been like all the believers would get together for this or i mean obviously we see baptisms happening spontaneously and stuff um but through history has it when it shifted into the worship service has it been yeah when did it get to be this communal um event as opposed to um i don't know how in the in the new testament <laughs> in the early church if the lord's supper was if people wouldn't show up or maybe they would just do it with half of the gathering or or would they like try to get everybody um there's not necessarily a real uh, like other than the lord's supper was done when they gathered together right which makes sense because it's about all it's about everybody participating together in christ you don't need more than one baptism right yeah Uh, lord's supper is about that continual feeding baptism is just a one-time thing so there's not the same necessity um to do it communally right um the reason we do it communally today is more of uh it, yeah it's more circumstance and history rather than principle right so, right yeah yeah it, it i mean it obviously makes sense so um yeah and then to i guess it's when well i guess we understand it to be like the yeah the like you said the leaders of the church um or or the men called to the ministry administer these things is there is that pretty common through history it wasn't let like an elder would baptize or a um well yeah you'd have like a a different form of lord supper yeah you have a deacon baptizing um in philip right 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 um depending on how you want to interpret that yeah, it depends on if you think he's called to yeah. i mean he's he yeah. is i guess he's called to the ministry <laughs> in a way <laughs> it's hard like it's hard to say um yeah I, i'd say it's hard to say i think yeah again in our in our churches for the sake of good order this is how we've done it and we're bound to that that order and i don't think it's wrong to say we want to limit it to the minister performing these sacraments right um it's definitely not wrong um 
Yeah. I'm just thinking of a church, maybe if if you're a vacant church, um, often you like we will get a minister in to do a baptism or in to do the Lord's Supper. So even mm-hmm. like, I mean, here in Calgary, if we were vacant, which thankfully we yeah. are not, um, we're pretty far away from any other church. So if we wanted to say, I mean, we'll get into Lord's Supper, more frequent Lord's Supper. If we wanted to do that, that's not always an opportunity to have a minister ordained minister in the church. So, yeah. I mean, not that I'm like pushing this. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to understand. Yeah. <laughs> understand. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, yeah. is that something, I mean, we have, is it even something in our church order that only a, a minister would, would do that? And then also like, is that. Yes. In our church that, order, in our church order, only ministers may administer the sacraments. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah. uh, yeah, we've, I guess, it, I guess it is wise too, right. To leave it to. Yeah, it, it it gets rid of some of that abuse, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah, it's it's situational. It depends on uh, it depends on the general uh, education of people in in general, right? Um, yeah, like in uh, say in the Presbyterian Church of America, right? Uh, in terms of preaching, so in terms of sacraments, only ministers may uh, perform sacraments in the PCA. Um, but in as, as far as I know, anyway. Um, but uh, in terms of preaching, um, there's a freedom. There, there's uh, elders may often preach. They have to go through a bit of a process. Um, we in our denomination or federation have said we would we would prefer to keep this exclusively to ministers right and again it's not i i i have a hard time when i look at scripture to say oh there's a wrong or there's a right here right so right no that's interesting actually the preaching <laughs> versus sacrament i would almost yeah i would almost lean the other direction <laughs> like to have to have somebody preach uh, you know it, it, it's it would be good if they you know had yeah well had some training but also like you know knew how to you know exegete and you know like had some proper you know um understanding and then also having gone through some testing and 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 you know but yeah for the for the sacraments it seems like i mean we'll get into what they all mean and and signify and stuff Mm -hmm. but to have an elder perform that is i mean to me it's still the same sign it's just not um yeah done but you don't need special training i guess to to pour wine no. into a cup and and pass it out, right? So no, no, it's 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 still a communal. Yeah, the sacraments still, you know, communal for the congregation, not necessarily for the minister. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, hmm. I don't know if there's anything else in general. Otherwise, we'll we'll deep dive into um, into baptism. I guess we'll start with um, this. This could go uh, real long, but we'll uh, if we need to, we'll. Mm-hmm. Put this mm-hmm. up into a couple of different episodes. Uh, sure thing. So, I guess we'll just start. Like, just to let's just dig into baptism. What is what does baptism signify? Like to reform believers, what do we believe baptism is? Um, yeah. What is it doing? So, baptism does two things. It's a promise from God. Uh, that uh, that we will receive uh, that we have forgiveness and it's Holy Spirit, and it is a separation out of the baptism 
uh, to the congregation of Christ. It's it's separating them out from the world, and uh, they now belong to the body of Christ. Yeah, so I would say the baptism is doing those two things. Right. Not, uh, we don't need to say, uh, and this is where things get a little fuzzy in, in, in theology in general, right? What does it mean to belong to Christ if, if the baptized infant is not elect? Um, you can make some distinctions about, um, uh, say, uh, Fellowship is sometimes people make the distinction of fellowship with the Christ and uh, connection with Christ or or something along those lines, right? Um, that those are some of the distinctions people make, but uh, it's probably better to keep it simple, right? It's uh, it's it's union with Christ, and some people their apostasy does happen, right? Um, right. There is a breaking off of that union. Um, that means, in a certain sense, they did not have, uh, uh, they they did not have the fullness of Christ, of who Christ was. Right. Yeah. So I guess that's on the one hand we have people yeah. baptized who aren't necessarily elect or saved. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, we don't rush to baptize an infant the second they're born because we also don't believe that the baptism does save them so yeah i mean yeah what why do some i guess believe that the baptism saves and why don't we yeah i guess it would be uh things like uh first peter um uh this uh, uh baptism now saves you right um but then he goes on to clarify that's not through the uh, the washing of dirt from the body, but uh, having a clean conscience through the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. So there's this there's this implied response there to the baptism the person has that uh, uh, the per, that the person has received. Right? Uh, you have the same in uh, in Romans six where we're buried with Christ, or we die with Christ, we buried with Christ. Um, and then there's a call to live with Christ because you have been freed, uh, that you have been freed from sin, or Colossians uh, it has similar language as well. Yeah. Right. And, and that's why, um, that's why taking some of those things has made people say that uh, baptism saves now some of it too is the um the fact that the word save doesn't always mean the same thing in the scriptures sometimes save can be and, and i'll i'll put it this way right um all of israel was saved from egypt right but it didn't do them any good they died in the desert right right and sometimes it, yeah I, um that's what Paul says in First Corinthians ten, right? Uh, they uh, they were all baptized into Moses and they ate of Christ, but uh, they did not. Um, uh, they played the whore and died in the desert. Or uh, Hebrews four, they uh, they were brought into the wilderness and they, and they have the promises of Christ, but they did not mix it with faith, right? Right. Um, 
the Roman Catholic understanding of it. So I like to be more specific about this because the Roman Catholic uh, understanding is not that baptism will automatically give you salvation, right? In the end, the Roman Catholic understanding is that it wipes away all the sin that you have in you at that moment. And you need to and uh, when you dirty yourself again, right, dirty yourself again, then you, by then, you have confirmation. That's when you become, uh, that's when you're allowed to take communion or mass in the Roman Catholic Church. And then you take mass and you take confession and those keep on wiping away the sins that keep piling up. Uh, the Reformed understanding of baptism is actually in some ways much bigger than the Roman Catholic understanding of baptism in that uh, you have a promise. It, baptism doesn't actually wipe away you, all your sins, um, but you have the promise of forgiveness of sins for your entire life. Right. That as you keep coming to God, God's going to look back on the fact that you're baptized into Christ. So as you keep coming to God, as you keep uh, uh, coming in repentance, God will continue to forgive those sins. Right. Because that baptism, that washing of baptism is a continual washing for your whole life. Right. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of questions that come to, that come to mind. <laughs> uh, so, so why wouldn't the Roman Catholic Church then uh, continually rebaptize? Like, why wouldn't they say, "Okay, this works too"? Instead of doing confession, we'll just uh, pour some water on your head every couple <laughs> weeks, and it became a sacramental system, right? Oh, right. So you have to uh, you go through the sacrament. You go through the sacraments. To be able to, um, to be able to get to uh, to God, right? Uh, to 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 work out your, I guess, work out your salvation. Um, you get baptized, you get cleansed, then you come to Lord's Supper. Now, the problem in the Lord's Supper, at least in the 16th century, is for the average layman, the Lord's Supper was way too holy. For the average layman. So they only came to Lord's Supper once a year. So you almost need to fill in that problem by getting uh, to, to keep people clean throughout the year by having another sacrament. And that's where the confessional comes in. So people regularly come to the confessional, they confess their sins to the priest, and then they uh, and then they can do their Hail Marys and Paternosters um, to, to receive, uh, to get cleansing through that. So right. and that's why confessional becomes, in a way, a more important confession than um, than than uh, Holy Communion. Right. So, yeah. Gotcha. So, what do we believe about their baptism? So, like, is there is there such thing as a false baptism? I mean, if you're not baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I guess that's false. If you are baptized in that way by you know what we would confess to be completely unbelieving people why don't we rebaptize uh because the efficacy is the, of the sacrament is not necessarily found in the uh in in the um in the person who's performing it 
right? So there are some false baptisms that could be that there, there are still some false baptisms there because it, it could be done as a joke, right? It could be done without water. It could be done. Um, uh, let me see if I can remember. Uh, oh, yeah. It could be done with the wrong uh, formula, right? Um I think you mentioned that already uh, in the name to be not baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I've also heard people who baptize themselves into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that would be that would be a problem, right? Or even churches, um, even churches that will baptize somebody in front of everybody, but will make the formula rather than an, obj an objective baptism that God is doing, right? I baptize you in the name of, right? I am here as an ambassador of God baptizing you, right? They will change that formula so that it's as if the person is baptizing themselves, which actually kind of, a, it makes a little more sense with the Baptist understanding of what baptism is, in that it's a um, it's 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 a confession of faith, not necessarily a promise of God. Right. Um, yeah. Now that's getting away from the Roman Catholic understanding. Um, yeah. Well, you'll have to remind me of the question again. I I lost the. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah, no, just, uh, <laughs> just, yeah, I'm just curious about like false baptism. Why would oh, we, false baptisms? Right, why won't yeah. we rebaptize? Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't often rebaptize. I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah. I don't know if I've ever witnessed yeah. a rebaptism. Um, yeah, of somebody who is like, you know, expressly had a false baptism. Um, yeah. Although I've yeah. probably only witnessed a handful of adult baptisms in my, baptisms yeah. in my life. Um, yeah, would we? Would we do some like serious investigation into, I mean, obviously into the background and into the, into their faith yeah. and, 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 but into that, that to make sure that that baptism was, you know, quote unquote legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would, I generally do that especially within the, uh, in the, uh, world today, right. There's, there's, Everybody thinks they have a better way of doing baptism than the Bible describes or Lord's Supper. So you get all kinds right. of interesting practices. Um, so I like to check into it. Um, it's not a bad idea. Hmm. The For Roman Catholic, right, they still have the correct... It, it, again, it's not about the understanding. It's not about the beliefs of the person. It's about what it is what what was it legitimately done right right and uh in that sense um i believe it's like charles hodge who makes a distinction between the um uh the form of the church the roman catholic church still has a the a form of a church right while it is it's deep in error right right um yeah, you make a distinction between the official beliefs of a church and the form of a church, even. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, we, yeah, I was thinking. So, if somebody joined our church from uh, even a Reformed Baptist church or something like that, mm -hmm. where we're 
we're aligned on most things, uh, not baptism. Um, mm-hmm. We would baptize them. Um, but if it's, yeah, if it's, an, I mean, I guess we're getting into something else, but if, if mm-hmm. it's just, if it's an adult, we require a profession of faith prior mm-hmm. to a baptism mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as, as an adult. Um, would we do the same thing for, I guess there's, there's, I you know there's a couple of questions here, but like, would we <laughs> require the same thing from say somebody who was baptized in a church? Um, why would we not require a profession of faith? Um, yeah, and, and rebaptized because the bap the baptism that they received was not received by people who share the faith that we have. Like that, that to me is like so we we do that for the Lord's Supper. Um, if they were say they did profession of faith in a church to then participate in the Lord's Supper in a Reformed Baptist church, would we we would mm-hmm. require that they have profession of faith to join our Lord's Supper? Um, mm-hmm. But we don't do that with baptism. Mm-hmm. Is like so baptism the, their baptism is legitimate, but their Lord's well, Supper is legitimate. Yeah. Um it's more about that that that's more of a question of guarding the table than whether their Lord's Supper is legitimate. Oh, okay. I see. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause um I think if uh, if I understand it rightly, uh the yeah, it's about how we express unity um together. So, yeah, the way I uh, the way I put it in our in our in our church when we have visitors is that uh, we believe the visible the visible unity uh, visible unity precedes unity at the table. That's that that would be the closed communion position. That visible unity the fact that we're all able to federate each other or we're actually officially recognize you as a sister church would precede unity at the table. Hmm. Right. So, yeah. okay. So well, we'll get into that with Lord's supper. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that makes sense. So, um, so it's a different issue of, of right. whether they're it's, it's not a question of whether their Lord's supper or their baptism are legitimate. Right. Right. So, Cause, uh, 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 Reformed Baptist, uh, I believe their baptism, is, uh, in my experience, and their baptism is legitimate, and so is their Lord's Supper. So, right. Yeah. They just don't aren't baptized till they're adults. So, which yeah, it's uh, yeah. right. It's uh, you know, I'd have uh, if if somebody came to me from a Reformed Baptist family and they were not baptized yet, I've I'd have no problem uh, baptizing them. I would have a huge problem ever rebaptizing somebody, right? So right, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, so <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of deep stuff. Um, yeah. So before we get into infant baptism, um, and then yeah, I guess yeah, this will probably lead into the covenant, um, the covenant discussion and how we understand yeah, the covenant yeah. and infant baptism. But yeah, why do we require, um? profession of faith prior to adult baptism um we don't do that with an infant obviously and then we right. believe that so say i mean also there's like where's the cutoff age for it because if there's uh, a whole family that comes to faith 
Um, there's instances in the New Testament where the family of somebody is baptized. And we, you know, because we like to argue infant baptism, we we like to think that there was like a whole bunch of kids. And But at what point does, um, you know, a person become responsible for themselves, I guess, in, in that profession of faith prior to baptism? And then why... Why do we make a distinction between somebody who can profess their faith and then somebody who who isn't quite there yet? Like, you know, a five or six or seven year old, we don't require them to any form of profession of faith to be baptized. But then as soon as you're, you know, 12, 14, 15, we say, OK, no, no, you should profess your faith before we baptize you. Why? Why do we make that distinction? Well, I think again in uh, in our tradition, we've connected profession of faith with with uh, coming to communion, right? Yeah. And so I, I would I would guess the the reason we get into those uh, type of things is because of our practice of profession of faith, right? Because of how we do. Excuse me. Because of how we do our practice of profession of faith. Um, that raises questions if a if a family comes in uh with yeah um teenagers for example yeah yeah i'm just thinking of like, i don't know i don't uh, know yeah yeah like philip <laughs> on the me. philip on the road with a eunuch was like and yeah. the eunuch said to him like here is water what what prevents me from yeah. being baptized like but he's professing his faith by doing that right, right. But how, yeah. I mean, there was no course that went along with it, I guess, but also. <laughs> no, like, no, is, but he was already a, he was already a, um, a Jewish believer, right? Right. So uh, he would have, or a, um, not a Jewish believer. Oh, I see. So a, he, was, um, he was, he was a Gentile Christian. believer, right? right. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah. what, one of the things we need to remember about the, uh, about the New Testament is a lot of the people who are being baptized are, are Gentile are are gentiles who are already interested in the jewish faith right right so they yeah. under probably understand a bit of the old testament already they're like okay so who's christ oh this is how he connects with the old testament so okay then right. i can be yeah. baptized right so it's a lot yeah. yeah so i think today you would want to i mean it it it, it Again, that's a thing of it's really a question of prudence. So not a uh, not a question of principle, how exactly we work these things out. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah, it makes sense to me that we're you know, we don't just jump to things, obviously, but like if somebody mm -hmm. were to join our church and say, oh, I really believe what you believe. Um, we often would be like, OK, well, here's a course you can take. Yeah. So um, we just, wouldn't say, hey, why don't we baptize you? And then, yeah, yeah, you know, we, yeah. like we could still guard the table of the Lord's yeah. Supper, but then, but we're not yeah. so quick to administer a sign and seal of the covenant, yeah. even though we would do that for a child. Like, yeah. I, although I guess it, it also has to do with, the yeah, parents, I guess too, right? So, you, so it, this is an important principle. Um, to whom much is given, much is required, right? So we believe that children, because there's already a bond with the between the children and parents, right? Um, they belong to the covenant, right? 
um, because of their connection to their parents. Well, also, yeah, because that's how God works. God works through families, right? Yeah. Um, and they will follow that up with a profession of faith, right? Right. Yeah. Um, if so, okay. Here's an interesting thought: a thought experiment, right? Um, parents make a pro- one of the things that we have parents do is make a promise to raise up their children in the fear of the Lord when they baptize their children, right? Um, if they weren't willing to make that promise. I think we would say, no, we're not going to baptize the children because there's not a reasonable, there's not a reasonable um, idea. We we don't have a reasonable belief that they're going to actually, they're going to actually continue. It's it's almost like a break in the covenant, I guess, like a parents are saying no to the covenant, like not, we're not going to continue this covenant. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Like, yeah. And then, um, um with it, it, when older people come into the church right it's yeah we ha- we we do have both patterns in the scripture right especially if we look at the old testament right abraham believed and then was circumcised and then all his kids are circumcised right whenever somebody was added to judaism they were circumcised and then they were and then they uh, um and then their kids presumably were circumcised. Right. Um, in the new covenant, it's the same thing. You believe, and then, it, yeah, um, we want to have. You say we want to have a reasonable sense that you actually want Christ. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, that makes sense. As soon as you're, as soon over, as you're your own. Yeah. 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 We can overdo that. I think I think sometimes our we tend to be very introspective and we can overdo that, right? I I think uh sometimes people can beat themselves up over allowing somebody to the table or baptizing somebody who later rejected the faith, right? I think I like to say here, remember that God baptized and God fed a group of people who you know, with his in his divine plan, he knew they were going to reject the faith, the faith right? That's Israel in the wilderness. Yeah, so or Israel back anytime, to that, really. right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a, but at the same time, we want a reasonable idea that, yeah, this person is committed to Christ. Right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that makes sense. Like to have, yeah. as soon as you're your own, uh, I can't say, you can't say household, I guess, but your own, yeah. uh, yeah if you if you're your own individual who able to make your own decisions like then i mean i guess we can nitpick about the age it's not age it's it's yeah yeah like you yeah. said it's like it's, it's it's just has to be something that you know we have some common sense about i guess but yeah 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 interesting so that leads us into infant bas- baptism fairly well because we're talking about yeah, the yeah, covenant. Yeah. <laughs> um like yeah. so Maybe you can walk us through that. You did a debate with uh, I forget who that was. Um, what his name was? Jared, but... Jared Hebert. Okay, yeah. So he was. Yeah. Uh, so he's in your area, I guess. And he's a. Is he a like a Reformed Baptist? He would be a Reformed Baptist pastor. Okay, so he yeah. he uh, yeah. he actually took an interesting stance on it, which I thought was I actually had never yeah. heard that he would. Uh, um, oh, what did he say? He was he wouldn't. I don't know if he would. He wouldn't rebaptize somebody. I don't think. 
he would is- he would but he if somebody felt that their baptism was legitimate he would count it as legitimate yeah which is I thought was an interesting thing because I I don't, I've never yeah. heard that from a Reformed Baptist because it seems like they would just always rebaptize after a professional yeah. faith. But, um, it's become a little more common with the focus on uh, Catholicity among Reformed Baptists. So right, yeah. So so why don't you lay out that like I mean I don't know if you remember that debate. It was probably <laughs> many years ago already, but even uh, just outline um, some of the arguments for uh, I guess paedo baptism. Yeah. So infant baptism and then credo baptism like adult only so if i remember correctly i began with um the baptismal formula itself i baptize you in the name of the father son and holy spirit and the fact that done this is done in the place of god so i began with the fact that this is a promise of god right um now that doesn't automatically mean that you should baptize babies, but it does mean that, uh, or yeah, because you could argue that, well, somebody should make a profession of faith before they get baptized. They should always make a profession of faith before they go baptized. And in fact, one of the early church fathers, uh, Tertullian, that was kind of his argument for later baptism. He believed people should be baptized when they get married. Um, he was, as far as we know, he was exceptional um, in those beliefs by the fact that he's the only one that comments on that. Um, right. Right. So <laughs> probably the rest expanse. of the fathers, probably the rest of the fathers were um, were for infant baptism. Right. And that's an argument from silence, but um, it makes, uh, and Tertullian had his own weird views but anyway i'm going off track (laughs) uh yeah so i started with that then i walked through the um the nature of the two covenants and how god works through all of history right you have god I love the First Corinthians 10 passage especially, right? It, it, it brings out that God is baptizing into Moses. Now he's baptizing into Christ. God is the one feeding the people through Jesus Christ. It's the rock that followed them, that they're fed by, right? Um, same with uh, same with the imagery of the um of the red of the uh, the flood, right? Noah and his family yep. are, in a sense, baptized in the flood, right? So God is always working in this as a group, as a nation, right? Um, some of I understand some of the promises of resurrection in the Old Testament, not so much talking about um, the final resurrection, our bodily resurrection, but a national resurrection for for Israel as a whole, a regeneration for Israel as a whole, right? right. Um, it, this this is part of a part of the story, right? And then you can bring into that the household baptisms as well. That are, you know, it's hard to say were there kids in those in those uh, households, but does it really matter? Because the interesting thing is if we understand what Romans and 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 um those early first century peoples understood by a household it would have been master or the 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 the, the paterfamilias the father the mother um kids maybe grandkids 
um, slaves, right? Everybody would have gotten baptized. And to say that everybody had a full sense of what baptism meant or was personally regenerate is quite a kind of kind of a, a that's quite a stretch of the imagination i would put it that way right um so so yeah there you have it you have uh you have this pattern throughout history and then you can hone in and and look particularly at uh what god says to abraham the promises is to your to you and your children and then we go to acts 2 42 the promises to you and your children um the that uh and to those who are far off actually what one interesting note on that one the promise to you and your children and to those who are afar off um i know there's different views you can take on that one um what baptists will often baptists will often say the promises to you and to your children and to those who are far off so the promises to you then you preach to your children and when they grow up they'll uh, they'll be baptized and to those who are afar off that's the gentiles I think a better way to understand it is the promises to you and your children and to those who are far off, the Jews that have been dispersed throughout the um, uh, throughout the Roman Empire at that time, because there's not a full. Um, and the reason for thinking about it that way is that there's not a full understanding, even among like for, from people like Peter at that time that the Gentiles ought to be baptized. You can see that when he goes to Cornelius and he has to see them receive the spirit before he's willing to baptize them. Right. No. Yeah. 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 Um, they have a, they have a whole, yeah. Yeah. it's actually, interesting. we just read acts to the, the supper table. That was um, mm-hmm. something you see. Uh, they actually counsel in, in Jerusalem to discuss circumcision and baptism and, and like the interplay kind of right. Like, yeah. Um, should yeah. should we be circumcising everybody and that's so it, i yeah. felt that like in this debate was kind of i mean there were questions to a q a kind of session yeah. too um a lot of that was was not all all focused at you so um, yeah yeah <laughs> the uh i found one of the most compelling arguments or 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 differences i guess was the um there's not necessarily an agreement on what, yeah, that continuity of the covenant. So like Mm -hmm. it sounded like from a Baptist viewpoint, the covenant sort of was fulfilled in Christ ended and a new covenant began. And so I don't know all the implications of that, but they would, it seems that they would more easily discount um, the Abrahamic um, and those who are, you know, to your children and those who are far off, like they would discount some of that language because that was then. And now we have a new covenant and it's not circumcision. So there's no real connection yeah. between like hard. Yeah. Like Jesus never says baptism is circumcision or, you know, instead of circumcision, we're doing this now. Like, so we confess that baptism replaced circumcision, but that didn't mean that baptism is circumcision in the same way. So like, uh, baptism is more inclusive. It's not yeah. uh, only to the males. So um, yeah. things even, like that. Uh, they point to things like that, and they would say, "Well, there's there's obviously a discontinuity or disconnect between the two. Therefore, they would interpret it as well in the new covenant. Now we're called to confess, believe, and then be baptized. 
So yeah, yeah, maybe you could touch on that just a little bit. Like, do, how do we understand that covenant? Like, why do we understand it as as more of a, co- a continuation or like bettering of the covenant as opposed to uh, like a full like we believe also that it's fulfillment, but as not a fulfillment also like you know fulfillment yeah. abolishing. <laughs> It's not abolishing, yeah. it's fulfilling, but also kind yeah. of abolishes the old covenant. Well, I think you'd you'd have to really go to the idea of uh of new creation. Um that's something that's uh the new creation is is bigger than just individuals who are old enough to uh cognitively believe and i use cognitive because i think in us i i i do i i would hold that infants can have a form of faith anyway right um yeah the continuity of the covenants uh it is more that it's the same god and he's working the same way Right. It's not that he turns from having a nation to all of a sudden having a collection of individuals. Right. He doesn't turn from a God who who, um, yeah, chooses a family to a God who um, makes establishes a voluntary association. Right. Right. Yeah, I guess the covenant was never really voluntary. Um, Not fully, no. Yeah. I mean, it had to be received, right? Yeah. It had but, to be received through faith, right? And to, and to, yeah, um, respond faith that leads to obedience, right? But even in the Abrahamic covenant, yeah. like, like the um, when God. Uh, passes through the animals as like a pot of a fire. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's God who does that as like a, as like establishing a covenant. It's still a continuation. It's actually still a continuation of the covenant established earlier, but as like a reestablishing of, of, or I guess a continuation of the covenant in a new sense, even to Abraham. Yeah. Establishing Um, his promise. But Abraham doesn't really get a say in it. It's not like he's uh no, it's not like he uh, gets to say, ah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So I guess yeah. that in that sense, yeah, we can understand that. Like, it's not necessary. Like, yeah. the covenant is kind of apart from us, not um, something that we ask for. I guess. Yeah, God initiates it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a so so the Baptist argument is often twofold. Often they will go to Jeremiah thirty three. And they will talk about, um, or 31 to 33, and they will talk about the new spirit that's given to, to um, the people of God. And will say, and the law being written in their hearts, and say, um, and then they have the passages in there about sour grapes. The, the, the no more will you give the sour grapes to the father, and the children's uh, teeth will be set on edge. Um that's a way of saying that children are punished for the sins of the father, although that's clearly condemned earlier in scripture as well. Um, but they'll go to that and they'll go to some of those uh, some of those places, which I think what they fail to recognize is the first 
the first movements toward the fulfillment of those things is actually in the restoration of Judah and Israel in the land of Israel during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, um, where God has already promised back in Deuteronomy that he's going to circumcise their hearts, not their foreskins, right? Um, so there's 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 that. And then there, there uh, yeah, um, they misunderstand the uh, the nature of the purity of the covenant area. So Baptists tend to push in, in, in from that argument. Baptists tend to push toward you know I I need to be able to know that everybody's saved in in my church. Right? There's I, I already mentioned the the whole kind of introspective attitude. Right? That becomes more pushed in the baptistic tradition right where um where you know especially if you're gonna be a holy church right everybody that is baptized needs to you need to have a sense that everybody is baptized is really saved and is really going to get there to the end right and same with uh uh, maybe less so with coming to communion because depending on what the baptist church is so right and then the other argument is Baptism, it's never commanded in the New Testament to baptize children. The failure there is, it, like, it, it, what, what I find, the most interesting thing about that argument that I find is that it's really the regulative principle of worship gone to seed, right? Do you know what the regulative principle of worship, of worship is? Uh, not, not as such. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unless it is... Unless it is explicitly commanded in the New Testament, it cannot be done in worship. Right. Hmm. So there, uh, and I fully respect these people, but there's within the Reformed camp, right, people who won't uh, play instruments in worship because it's never commanded in the New Testament or will not, um, uh, will not, uh, you know, uh, Sing hymns, right? right. Um, but then baptism is never commanded in the New Testament either. Baptism of babies is never commanded in New Testament either. So we have to, we have to spend time in the Old Testament to understand our life and worship before God, right? Including our worship. Because the Old Testament establishes patterns that the New Testament still continues to follow. Not that the not that the new of course there's a transformation in those things because that law dies on the cross in Christ, but the Spirit uses the Old Testament to train us to order our lives. I love how the Belgic Confession 25 puts it. The Spirit uses the Old Testament to order our lives according to the gospel. It's not that we're under the law anymore. It's more like the law is an older brother that the Spirit uses to inform how we live before God, right? So things like tithing, that comes from the Old Testament, right? Yep. It's a it's a wonderful practice. It's a good practice to follow, right? Um, things like... Uh, it, um, yeah, 
the sacrifices, we could pay attention to the order of sacrifices, and that could help us think about about our worship. The fact that often sacrifices would come in the form of guilt offering, then um, then um, uh, whole burnt offering. I, I like to call it the ascension offering, and uh, and then the peace offering. Right there, you have repentance of sin and absolution. Uh, whole burnt offering uh, the uh, or ascension offering the congregation ascends to to heaven to hear the word of god right so the word of god and then peace offering the the peace offerings in the old testament where were they were they they would gather and eat the edible after and so the congregation has uh, communion together um that is yeah i'm just using that to it applies to some of our other discussions that, yeah. that, that we'll have as well. But I'm using that to to say the order of the Old Testament matters, right? And so the yeah. order of the Old Testament also matters for how we think about infants, for how we think about um, people around us. Yeah. I mean, I th- why else? Yeah. Why else would we ha- like? Is it? Why else would we have it? Why? What would it be more consistent to then stop? reading the old testament if you believe that the covenant ended or the covenant was fulfilled then why not just mm-hmm. study everything in the new covenant you live in the new covenant so why do we read the old covenant then um yeah unless i mean yeah i guess there could be just like little bits of wisdom but um yeah and that's how the yeah. old testament is often has often been treated right uh just as a, a moralistic tales right yeah right yeah so more like yeah how do we yeah right i guess instead of direct commands more of a a story that we can you know Mm -hmm. like a storybook that we can pick and you know pick apart and understand yeah it's it's interesting though that i mean there's lots of things in the new testament even that um when read literally can lead you to other places too so it's interesting that we don't look at the like a credo Baptist won't look at the whole Bible and, and and interpret the whole thing or like see the continuity of the covenant through everything. Like mm-hmm. I'm even thinking of something like in Acts, um, the, when the early church was, was established, there's a line in there. I think it's right before, maybe it's Acts four or five, right before the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where um, it says the whole church, um, basically shared everything or had everything in common. So mm-hmm. do we use that as a, um, we should be communists as people? <laughs> like, should we just live in a commune where we're all, you know, sharing everything and, and we don't really own anything like that? Yeah. It's, that's not obviously what this is saying. So, um, yeah. or even if that is how that was, like, is that the pattern of scripture? That's not what, yeah. Christ teaches and that's not what we see in the old testament so yeah. i guess little things like that even that like yeah i mean that's that's like a, an example where you don't follow something and but mm-hmm. there's like mm-hmm. it says something to you know it, it's not that because the command's not there explicitly it doesn't mean that it's not in in scripture so yeah um, and and we'll come to this when we talk about frequency of compute communion but patterns that are given are important to um to edify the christian 
right? Mm -hmm. It's not always just commands, right? God gave us a lot of stories. God gave us a lot of things, uh, a lot of different things. Um, Proverbs, right, that don't apply in every situation. A lot of wisdom, right, that we're called to to think about. And it's it's supposed to teach us about best practices, right? Right. Yeah. It is is interesting. So is it... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking. I'm trying to think it from their perspective. If you if mm-hmm. you did believe in adult, adult only baptism, mm-hmm. I guess like um, in that debate, what he was mentioning, um, you, yeah, he would he would probably like if you said your baptism was legitimate, he wouldn't necessarily rebaptize you. Um, yeah, which I find is actually, I guess it's it's tending toward, or at least sympathetic to infant baptism. Um, mm-hmm. but they would, um, in, in the like strictly Baptist tradition would deny the, um, legitimacy of infant baptism. So yeah, why would they rebaptize? Like, do they believe, they believe obviously that you have to have faith, uh, yeah. to be baptized. Then what if you lose your faith? you know, are excommunicated, come back, do they then rebaptize again? That depends seems... if they're a, a Reformed Baptist or not, right? So, oh, like a Reformed Reform... Baptist will say, well, you can't, they, they will still say things like you can't be re- regenerated twice. So they're still only going to baptize you once, right? So oh, interesting. what's often called the particular, the Reformed Baptist or the particular Baptist tradition will only baptize once. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but not recognizing infant baptism. Uh, not recognizing infant baptism because um, baptism is. It, uh, uh, I've seen it said baptism is a confession of faith. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So, so then, how do they? Yeah. How Sorry, do you understand ahead. the? I guess the covenant or election from that view. Like, why would they? Obviously, they don't believe that baptism saves. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I'm sure they'd be more sympathetic to infant baptism. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, and it, he also mentioned in that debate, he said, if I believe that it's, um, he's kind of erring on the side of caution. Like, if if they believe that it's a confession, um, basically a profession of faith in your baptism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would err on the side of not baptizing somebody and like say uh, a mentally handicapped individual mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can't be sure that they have faith therefore we will err on the side of not baptizing them which i also found that was that's quite an quite an error if you look if you think about it in the covenantal form like they're you're clearly part of it, a covenant and and like like you said earlier like a, a a baby can have some form of faith and at least like a child we like a childlike faith is like an extolled virtue. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm trying, I'm just trying to understand like, where do they come from with that? Like if, if you, if you're trying to err on the side of caution, then why would you baptize at all? Like why, how do you know for sure? You don't really know for sure. Like it depends. Uh, it depends who you are. Right. So, I think uh, among the early Anabaptists, they would they would baptize quite late, right? 
Um, then you have, uh, but that was also connected to the idea of falling away from salvation. Um, this is what like Tertullian, I mentioned Tertullian b- believed what believe, uh, earlier Tertullian believed that uh, there were certain sins you could commit after baptism and not receive repentance for. Right. right? So once you've been baptized, you had to be holy. So, and that's, there's a little bit of that in the early Anabaptist tradition. Um, the Reformed Baptist tradition tends to be different. Um, I, I would, I would look at American, the American Baptist tradition as and and British uh, as different than the Continental Anabaptist tradition, in that sense. Right. Um, yeah. I really do think it centers around uh, what I already said. The command, the the New Testament does not command baptism of infants, right? A lot of it is at that level. Right. A lot of the um a lot of the Reformed Baptist tradition today. And a lot of the or 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 um or Jeremiah and, and if they're they're looking into it a little more, they'll go to Jeremiah 31 through 33, right? Uh the new covenant is about having all believers right? It's about everybody's a believer in this church, right? Right. Um, So there it goes to the holiness, a little less of the emphasis on the holiness, because there's more emphasis on faith than holiness, right? Hmm. So that's, that's more the uh, reform, as best I understand, because it's so diverse too, right? You have, you have Baptist churches that will baptize at seven, at three, um, right? Hmm. Um, you as have as, as soon as they can say God, then it's good. <laughs> yeah, sure, right. Um, so you you have you you have a lot of diversity. You have Baptist churches that will you're not allowed to be a member unless you're rebaptized. You, you have Baptist churches like uh, Jared Hebert's that will say we we will count your baptism. Right, um, it's improper but still legitimate. Right. And they will have a kind of a mixed view that baptism is both a confession of faith and a promise of God. Right. Um, right. So it's a very diverse out there today. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a tough thing to uh, understand. So I guess we're getting. Yeah, we're getting on to an hour and a half already. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to. So. I guess to clo- I guess to close baptism. I don't know if you have anything else. Yeah. Like it's it's a hard uh, it's hard for me to wrap around my head around this. Um, mm-hmm. I encourage people to go listen to that debate. That's on uh, Reform Perspectives yeah. website, and uh, you can you can find that. I'm sure if you search uh, James Zeckbeld on there, it'll come right up. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting to hear, and and I find like he's actually some somewhat sympathetic to um, mm-hmm. infant baptism, and or. Maybe not. He's not. No, not, I guess I can't say sympathetic. Like he wouldn't. He wouldn't take that view. But he's also not uh, adamantly opposed to, um, like a an infant baptism being legitimate, which is, um, which is yeah. And it so it is a logically consistent position, right? Um, is- I would say for for a Baptist to take, it's a logically posis- consistent position to say that it's proper it, it, it's uh it's a legi- uh, legitimate but improper 
right? right? Um, it is not the historic Baptist position. The historic baptism position, Baptist position is illegit. It's illegitimate to baptize a baby. Um, we can talk about it a little more when we get to Lord's Supper, but it 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 it, it provides an interesting discussion when we're talking about admittance to the Lord's Supper, right? For a right. Uh, yeah. for if I were to go to their church, right? Right. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yep, yeah, of course. Guarding the yeah. table and, and even even membership versus uh like yeah, baptismal status, I guess, is uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to be fair as, as fair as possible to their side. So I, I maybe I can seem a little bit uh um dismissive at times. That's partly because it's a, a very deeply held belief of, of mine, and I think it's important. Um, and maybe I can talk a little bit more about that for a minute, why it's so important for the nature of the church. Yeah, I was just right? trying to think, like, yeah. we should probably close with, like, why is it, like, let's get back to those parts <laughs> of the church. Why, why when, yeah, like, why is it so important, and why should an individual care? Like, what if we're going to go, if you're baptized in a Canadian Reformed mm-hmm. church, why should you, or even if you go to a church that says, okay, well, we accept your baptism as legitimate, but we won't practice infant baptism. Why is it so important? And and why is it a mark of the true church? Like, why are we, mm-hmm. why is the, the pure administration mm-hmm. of this sacrament so important that we should, you know, that, we're, that we look at it as like, this church is true and this church is not true. Yeah. So I would say the main reason is this that it's about the Catholicity of the church, right? Who are you going to include in Christ? One of the most fundamental fights in the New Testament was, how are we going to consider Gentiles in the church of Christ? The uh, how are we going to consider Jews, right? Here we're making a division between adults and infants. And Jesus himself welcomed infants, said, such as uh, such as these uh, belong to the kingdom of God. So it's really about recognizing who the church of Christ is. Right. That's why it's so important that Jesus cares just as much about little children. And and this, of course, a Baptist will right away say, of course, Jesus cares about little children. But Jesus gives the same promise to little children who do deal with doubts, who do deal with fears from the very beginning of their lives. Right. I always dealt with doubts and fears as a small child. Right. My son does. Right, but at the beginning of their lives, you have these doubts and fear. Like you, you have this covering of Christ in Christ. Right, the doubts and fears of parents of children who die in infancy. Right, and so Baptists have ways to deal with those things. But this recognizes the fullness of the body of Christ. Right, properly. Um, that's how I understand discerning the body in First Corinthians 11. It recognizes who's actually part of the body of Christ, and that's very important. So right. Yeah. And then so we would say uh, we have communicate members and non-communicate members of our churches, but mm-hmm. both our members 
regardless of yeah regardless yeah so yeah your uh, child you teach your your children they're children of god yeah 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 and they're 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 to respond in faith yeah Yeah. we've talked about education a lot and stuff on, on this podcast um uh about reformed education and and how we uh understand how we educate our children stuff like that mm-hmm. this plays into it big time like oh uh, absolutely uh, yeah understanding the covenantal value of your children um is it's a lot different as you respond to the promises of baptism for your children um as opposed to um raising your children to you know, as if they were maybe part of a covenant or as if you were hoping that they would become part of it um, or with a goal to um, like aim your children at conversion mm-hmm. as opposed to aiming your children, you know, because mm-hmm. they're part of the covenant, aiming your mm-hmm. children in the right direction. Like it it yeah. just changes the way you think about, um, yeah, yeah, your your responsibility to, to and it's in raising your children. It's not that we're not aiming at our, our, our children at, for conversion, right? Um, I say regeneration, because, like, well, re, uh, regeneration—not in terms of initial regeneration per se, but regeneration as a whole life of turning away from, mm-hmm. right, uh, turning away from sin and toward God, right? Because the Bible uses regeneration in both those senses, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, a more so, continual regeneration, yeah. the same as we yeah. would for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so in that sense, yeah, you're aiming for that, but you're doing it with the confidence that they already belong to God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, and it also changes how your view of um, of simple believers, right? Yeah. You don't need to have all the knowledge to belong to Christ. Yeah. You just don't. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so hey, maybe one more question. I'll ask you this again mm-hmm. at the end of Lord's Supper. We tell we talk yeah. about Lord's Supper though, but yeah. So. Part of this, my my uh, desire to talk about sacraments and and just like the the true the marks of the church in general, um, as as Dutch churches like so we have a reputation for being you know more stoic or uh, you know less we're not as uh, feely in our worship or in our mm-hmm. tradition so mm-hmm. we don't talk about uh, symbolism. As much as many traditions, we don't talk about things like that. How, um, I mean, I'm curious about both more, I mean, probably more on the Lord's Supper side, um, but how is mm-hmm. baptism, how do we understand that in a way, um, like knowing the knowledge, like knowing that this is a, a sign and seal of the covenant is one thing. Um, I don't know that we are ever really overwhelmed by a sense of an infant joining that um Mm -hmm. like in a way where we feel it that we're like this is actually amazing um in yeah in a way that other denominations or other um like i've been thinking maybe like eastern orthodox something like they they seem to feel or understand the symbolism of these things more than we do so is there a way that we can yeah i think that's more of a that's less of a problem of feeling though per se than an understanding of symbolism right that would be so it's the no it's like yeah. instead of just knowledge we need more knowledge of symbolism yeah that's <laughs> that could be one thing right i guess um, I, I mean so what because i sense a there's often a 
lack of so this is not his our historic position right because there's a lot of feeling connected to communion in the past especially communion in the past yeah. right um there's you know you would have seasons of preparation for it right in scotland you would a, a number of scottish churches only did communion once a year and they would have a whole season of preparation they'd have a whole fair to prepare for it right in the netherlands you had a sunday of preparation often before communion um so there was a lot of feeling connected to it right sorrow for sin and i'm not sure like from my perspective that wasn't always necessarily the right sort of uh feelings to emphasize sorrow for sin i i think the lord's supper should be a joyful thing um now in order for yes absolutely in order to prepare for the supper there should be sorrow for sin right and and you can think of lord's day 33 that should be just a regular part of life sorrow for sin joy in the joy in the new life you have in christ right yeah um i think what we've we've become very rationalistic and i'm not going to blame that on our tradition i'm going to blame that on things that come outside of our tradition the enlightenment primarily right um, yeah, makes sense. we become very rationalistic in our approach to a lot of things um and that just means more we we need to pay more pay more attention to what the bible is teaching through stories and symbols right. uh, i think uh like clash gilder um was a movement in the right direction so um his understanding of preaching his understanding of uh um uh his understanding of symbols how yeah uh, there's more to to learn there right i especially in terms of understanding i'd, I'd recommend um uh james jordan's book um through new eyes to understand worldviews and symbolism. And yeah, that doesn't mean there's no feeling. It's just more that there's no there, there is a lot of feeling in in reformed churches from my experience, not necessarily connected to sacraments, right? Maybe more to communion than to baptism. Yeah. Um but I also see it with baptism a bit, yeah. Um but it's more how we express yeah yeah it's somewhat cultural our cultural expression of those things and somewhat the effects of the enlightenment so right yeah 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 understanding i guess what symbols are what they do i mean we'll get into we'll get into this more what god is doing what god is doing through them right yeah yeah, yeah. but how yeah uh, i think i think you have yeah. so many in my experience growing up uh, sometimes you have so many sermons telling me what baptism isn't doing that I don't really get the meaning. I, I don't really get the uh, the importance of baptism at all. Right. Right. Because we can tend to do that. Oh, we're not Catholics. Baptism doesn't save you. Right. We're always so nervous about that, that we're and we're so nervous about, you know, people just coasting on their baptism right yeah maybe instead we should just say hey this is really wonderful but give the warning of israel in the desert right right yeah 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 all right we'll, we'll get into more of that with the uh, lord's supper maybe, maybe we should 
wrap it up for the day. We'll probably pick this up again, okay. and make it sure. another episode. I mean, <laughs> in an hour and a half just on baptism and Lord's yeah. Supper, yeah. Uh, you know, you you wrote an eight part blog post on that. So maybe I'll reread that again. And uh, um, <laughs> the symbol of symbolism of the Lord's Supper and, and uh, you know, the yeah. frequency of, of, um, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the, uh, some of our be- reform beliefs versus, you know, Luther and Zwingli and, and, and yeah, what, yeah, why, why are we Calvinists? Stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And this is, this has been a pleasure. Table. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I uh, love Ty. This is my favorite thing to talk about. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing that we called you. So yeah, I guess for a listener, uh, we'll probably, you know, turn this next chat about Lord's Supper into another episode and uh, continue sure. our kind of yeah. our series on uh, Marks of the True Church. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining All us. Right. Yeah. And, thank uh, you. We'll see you soon for another episode. Okay, sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfleur, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time.